The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning. The um, scripture reading is Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on me on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, uh, as today we enter into the fourth and final week of Advent. Hope everybody has their shopping done. Fourth and final week of Advent, which bears the theme of peace. You know, we, we heard our candles talked about just a moment ago, hope, love, joy, and peace. And if we're honest, I think that this is the theme of Advent that is hardest for us to believe. Last week, I ended my sermon reflecting on some of the words from the uh, Christmas song, O Holy Night. Uh, the, the part of it that says, the weary world rejoices. Why? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. But this morning, I want to ask, what new and glorious morn is that? Is it really one of peace? Because if I'm honest, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, when I look at the world around me, my heart does tend to sing a Christmas song, but it's not those lyrics from O Holy Night. My heart tends to echo with the lyrics from I Heard the Bells. My heart tends to sing, then in despair I bowed my head, and there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. That's what my heart sings when it looks around at the state of our world. And this, this is why we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55 this morning. Because here in this text, we encounter Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, who, like us, lived in the midst of a weary world situation. But unlike me, when Mary's heart sings amidst her weary world situation, it sings in the opposite direction of despair. She sings a song of, of hope. Because she's seen the love of God. And therefore she rejoices. For yonder she sees breaks a new and glorious morn. Yes, one of peace. Mary sees that new morn dawning and she feels the glorious warmth of its rays upon her face. And here's the deal, Shades. Her song helps us to see and feel it too. Shades, we... We are here, thank you, sir. We are here in Luke chapter 1 because we need to hear Mary sing 
so that we may see this new morn and feel its glory. We're, we're here to ask of Mary, what new and glorious morn have you seen that empowers you amidst the weary world to rejoice? What have you seen? Mary sings the answer. Let's listen to her song. Begin reading with me. Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's where the song gets its name, Magnificat. It's, it's a play off the Latin version of the first line of this song. Magnificat. It just means my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is shocking, Shades. Like I know it doesn't hit us that way because we're used to reading this, but, but I challenge you, just Later today, go back and read all of Luke chapter 1 that leads up to this moment in verse 46. See if it's not shocking. You go back and you read all of Luke chapter 1. Do you you know what you'll find? Find Mary as a young woman, likely in her teens, maybe no older than Laura Beth, who just read the words of this song to us a moment ago. She's a young woman. A woman in her sexist society would have put her on the underside of power for sure. She's from a small town that nobody cares about. She definitely lives below the poverty line. And oh yeah, on top of that, her entire nation is being oppressively ruled by the Roman Empire. I mean, you want to talk about a weary world situation. Like from... All the way down from like her personal life all the way up to national political life. Mary would know very little of peace. And to complicate matters more, when you keep reading Luke chapter 1, you find that she has received a visit from an angel, Gabriel, who has told her that even though she's a virgin, betrothed to be married, she's going to miraculously give birth to the Messiah that God had long promised to his people. And that sounds like good news. But within her Eastern honor-shame culture, nobody's going to believe her story. She's going to be shamed for it, marginalized even more than she already was. She could even be legally punished, even put to death. Talk about a weary world situation. But Gabriel encourages her. Encourages her. The Lord will be with her. And she can know that all of this is true because her elderly cousin Elizabeth is also miraculously with child at this time. Elizabeth is older, she's been barren her entire life, but she has miraculously conceived a baby that we will later know in the gospel as John the Baptist. It's like Gabriel is saying to Mary, literally, go and see, go and see your pregnant cousin's belly and see if I'm not at work. See if what I'm saying to you isn't true and know for a fact that God will be with you in the midst of everything that I've said. So Mary does that, you'll read, she goes to Elizabeth. And as soon as she gets there, she not only sees confirmation because Elizabeth is pregnant, but she hears it. Elizabeth prophetically speaks over Mary and affirms that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And that's the moment in which Mary sings. That's the moment in which we run into Mary's response to this entire situation, weary world situation. How does Mary respond? She sings a song of joy. My soul 
magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. It's a song of joy. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In the midst of her weary world, this weary saint rejoices. How? How? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, and Mary sees it. That's how. She she sees it through Gabriel's news, through Elizabeth's confirmation. She she sees the new morn breaking and she feels its glorious rays on her face. We see that. If you just keep reading, verse 48, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for, here's why I'm able to rejoice, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's a verbal form of the Greek word makarios, truly joyful. She rejoices. She's truly joyful down deep in her soul, in the depths of her spirit. Why? For he, for God has done something. God has done something. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Anytime scripture talks about God looking upon someone, that doesn't mean he is merely observing. It means he is acting on their behalf. This young Girl from a nowhere town, God looks upon her weary world situation and he sees shades. He sees you in the midst of whatever weary world situation you find yourself in. He looks upon the humble state of his servant, which means he doesn't just observe, he acts. You see that right here. He looks on the humble estate of his servant Mary and amidst her weary world, he's done something. Something new. You can see that in Mary's words. She says, from now on. In other words, God's done something new. Something that's changed the situation. So, from now on. On. God's done something, he's done something new, and it's not just new. Mary goes on to say, it's glorious. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, truly joyful. God's done something new, and it is good and glorious. This weary saint rejoices because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I don't know about you, but I want to see and feel this, just like Mary does. Amidst, amidst this weary world I want to be empowered to rejoice. So, so Mary, I'm asking. You say God is doing something new, something glorious. I'm asking, what is it? What, what's new? And what is glorious? Those are my two questions this morning. What's new? And what's glorious? Mary sings the answers so that we might see the new and feel its glory. Let's take these questions one at a time. First, what is new? What is new? Verse 49 reveals something's new for Mary. Something is new for Mary. Look at verse 49. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, Mary says. Let me do for her. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Something's new for Mary. Something that only God has the power to do. She says, he who is mighty has done this. As a matter of fact, she lets us know quite clearly, he who is mighty is the only one who could do this. Holy is his name. Holy meaning uniquely set apart in a category of his own unto himself. Mary says, God has done something new for me. Something that only he has the power to do. Something he alone can do. What is it? Well, if you go back and read earlier in Luke chapter 1, we already know what this something new is. Luke 1 and verse 35, the angel Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power, he who is mighty, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called holy. He who is holy will bring about this little holy one, the Son of God. The birth of Christ. This is the new thing Mary is singing about. I know that for certain because of the very form her song takes. Mary's song right here reflects another song in Scripture. It reflects the song of Hannah. Do you remember Hannah? You've got to go Old Testament. This is like over a thousand years before Mary gets visited by Gabriel. You've got to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was a woman who was barren. And she grieved over this. Prayed. Longed for a child. And the Lord miraculously gave her a son, Samuel. And when he did, Hannah sang. She sang. Go back to 1 Samuel 2 and compare Hannah's song with Mary's. In many ways, Mary's song mirrors Hannah's. And I bet, I bet that's because Mary's mind and heart were saturated with the Word of God. And I bet as soon as she got Gabriel's news, her mind and her heart began thinking and recalling all of God's promises that He would one day send His Son. All of the stories that foreshadowed that. All the parallels to what Mary herself was experiencing. And I'm willing to bet that along the way she began thinking about how her nation, the nation of Israel, had been barren. God had promised a son, but for hundreds of years that son had not come. And the nation was barren, much like Hannah was. Much like Hannah had prayed for a son. And just like when Hannah's son finally came, she sang, now that God's promised son has come, Mary also sings, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, a new day, a new sunrise, pro- the, 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 promised, the birth of the promised son of God of David. This is the new morn, the new dawn that's breaking, the new sun that is rising. That's actually exactly how Luke will describe the birth of Christ at the end of Luke chapter 1. He'll describe it as like a new dawn breaking, a sunrise. We get that description in another song, a song from Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah, look down. Look down to Luke chapter 1 and verse 78. And see what Zechariah sings. This is what he sings and how he describes the coming birth of Christ. Look at it with me. Luke 1, 78. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. In other words, Zechariah sings, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. 
The new morn is the birth of Christ. Mary sees it and she sings like Hannah. Something is new for Mary, but not just her. Something is also new for me, for you. That's what verse 50 reveals. Verse 50 reveals not only is something new for Mary, something is new for me. Look at verse 50. And his, that's God's, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy, eleos. I tell you that Greek word because it is used to translate a Hebrew Old Testament word all the time. That Hebrew Old Testament word is hesed. We've talked about hesed before. It's the covenant love of God. And that's precisely what, it's being, what is being talked about right here in Mary's song. I know that because she's going to sing about it again at the very end, verses 54 and 55. She's going to talk about God remembering his mercy that he promised to their forefathers. His covenant that he made. His covenant love. Right here in verse 50, Mary is singing that God's covenant love is being expressed not just to her, but to me. To you. She says to all who fear him, or in other words, who have faith in him, from generation to generation, down to ours. You're in the song, Shades. This new thing, it's for me. It's for you. What, what is it? What is this new thing? What is new? The incarnation. That's what's new for Mary. That's what's new for me. That, that is the new Morn that is dawning in Mary's womb. The incarnation of Christ. It's not, when I say that it's new, it's not new because it was never a part of the plan. It's new because it has finally come to pass. The incarnation, God taking on flesh, that's all the word incarnate means. It's to take on flesh. You can hear the word carne in there, which we get our word carnivorous from. It, it means meat, flesh. God put on meat. He put on flesh. He took it on. And the incarnation, God taking on flesh, it was always part of the plan. Revelation tells us Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was always part of the plan, but it has now finally come to pass. That's why we sing, late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new, the new born. King, the plan has finally come to pass. Look yonder into the text shades. Do, do you see it breaking? The new morn? The sunrise of God's faithfulness to send the sun that he promised? That, that empowers us to rejoice amidst the weariness of this world seeing the sunrise of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. That, that's an appropriate metaphor for his faithfulness because no matter how dark every single night gets, we wake up every day knowing that the sun is faithful to rise. That's the kind of faithfulness we see in the incarnation of Christ. That's why it's compared to a sunrise. That's why it's the new morn. What is new? The incarnation. 
shades. Do you see it? Do you see the new dawn breaking? Perhaps you do, but you don't feel why it's glorious. It's great, Jonathan. The plan finally come to pass. New thing God's doing is the incarnation. It's, it's great, but I don't, fe- I don't feel. I see it, but I don't feel why it is glorious. That's precisely why we need to ask our second question. We know what's new, the incarnation. But second, what is glorious? What is glorious? M- Mary doesn't just see the new morn. She feels. She's rejoicing. She feels that the warmth of its glorious rays on her face is why she's empowered to rejoice amidst her weary world. What, what is the warmth that she feels? What What is glorious? She sings the answer in verse 51. Verse 51, beginning there. Verse 51 reveals that something has gloriously fallen. What's glorious? Verse 51 reveals that something has gloriously fallen. Look at it. He, God, has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Mary sings right here in what we might call the prophetic past tense. In in other words, even though the stuff she sings about is yet to happen, it's so certain that she sings as if it has already occurred. It's, It's like she's saying, because of the incarnation, because of God's faithfulness to finally send His promised Savior. Here's what's guaranteed to happen. And what she sings is that something is guaranteed to gloriously fall. Namely, the proud, the arrogant, the egotistical elite. It doesn't matter if they're merely prideful in the thoughts of their own heart internally and it never shows externally that's the first category she talks about you scatter the proud in the thoughts of their heart those who are just proud internally thinking themselves superior to everybody else whether they think themselves superior morally racially economically intellectually whatever doesn't matter if they just have a proud heart or if they actually possess the power to use their pride to oppress. She sings about the mighty being brought down from their thrones. Mary Mary sings that the proud will gloriously fall. And there's a flip side to that coin. She sings that the proud will gloriously fall. But in verse 52, she reveals not only has something gloriously fallen, but something has gloriously been filled. Look at it with me, verse 52. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the, those of humble estate. He has filled, filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The proud gloriously fall and those of humble estate gloriously be exalted. The hungry will be filled. If you're thinking that any of that language right there sounds familiar, you would be right. 
Mary is singing about what we have been exploring in the Beatitudes, is she not? Those of humble estate, the poor in spirit, who cling to God no matter the cost, even if it leads to literal poverty, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be exalted. They'll be exalted because their ultimate hunger and thirst is for righteousness more than anything. Even if that leads to oppression and literal hunger, they shall be satisfied, filled with good things. When, when Mary sings those words, the hungry will be filled with good things, she is quoting the same psalm that lies behind Jesus' fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Behind both of their words is Psalm 107 and verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The Beatitudes, have we not seen again and again and again that they are about a reversal? The people of God who've been on the underside of the boot of power and been oppressed, all things will be reversed. Those who are worldly, who have possessed power and used to oppress, they will find themselves on the bottom. It's a reversal. Is that not the exact same thing that Mary sings here? Mary sings that the incarnation will bring about a glorious fall, a glorious feeling, a glorious reversal. Later in this gospel, Jesus is going to say the same thing. Luke 14 and verse 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This song is about a glorious reversal brought about by the incarnation of Christ. Now, having said all of that, most people take Mary's song and her words here in one of two ways. Some take it physically and some take it spiritually. Explain what I mean right there. Those who take Mary's song physically say that Mary is literally singing about the fall of corrupt worldly powers. Like for her, that would be the Roman Empire that currently ruled her country. She's like, yeah, time's over, you're fallen. After all, was that not the general Jewish expectation concerning the Messiah? Would that not be Mary's expectation? God's going to send his Messiah, he's going to come, he's going to clean house, he's going to set up God's forever kingdom, he's going to be its forever king, things will be like they were back in the day of David, only better, perfected. So here in Mary's song, she's clearly singing, about the fall of corrupt kings and egotistical elites and the lifting up of the literal poor, the lower class, the hungry. In other words, Mary's song is about literal social revolution. Uh, John Mark shared with me a, a tweet from, I can't even remember who it was from, but it was from somebody uh, who was talking about the fact that Mary's song has literally throughout history been banned from being read or studied or even get anything uh, by various oppressive governments and various regimes. Because they see within it this call to social revolution. Her song, some people say, should be taken physically, literally. Yet, others take the song spiritually. In other words, they say that Mary is symbolically singing 
about spiritual realities. And they'll say you can see this in her own words. In her own words, she reveals she's not singing about all people who are poor and hungry, as if this is supposed to be about social revolution. No, she clarifies who she's talking about. She's singing of those who see their humble estate, verses 48 and 52. Thus, they fear God. They have faith in God, verse 50. They are his servants, verses 48 and 54. In other words, they say she's not singing about every single person who's poor, nor is she singing about every single person who is wealthy and finds themselves in a middle or upper class. She's singing about those who pridefully trust in themselves and in their own wealth and their own power. Thus, they'll say Mary's song is not about physical salvation from oppressors. It's about spiritual salvation from sin. Her song, they'll say, should be taken spiritually, symbolically. Well, which is it? Physical or spiritual? Oh, I hope that y'all have been with me long enough to know how I'm going to answer that question. Yes. The answer is yes. Mary is not singing about physical or spiritual salvation. She is singing about total salvation. Complete. She is singing about the glorious fall of the wealthy and powerful, not all of them, but those who oppress, those who oppose God and oppress his people. The Bible has a category in which it lays out a general principle that's not true in every specific case, but generally the Bible says those who amass wealth and power in this world generally do it by aligning themselves with this world. That's generally how that works. And Mary sees those people falling. And she's singing about the glorious filling of the poor and the hungry. Not all of them, but those who fear God and who follow Him in faith. The Bible also has a general category that's not true in every specific instance, but generally the people of God who cling to God will find themselves opposed and oppressed and persecuted. She is singing right here about their spiritual and physical salvation. We sing this way. Do we not? O holy night. You sing about spiritual salvation. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its for spiritual salvation. But do we not also sing, change shall he break. For the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Mary is singing about physical and spiritual salvation, total salvation, and she prophetically sings even more than she knows. There's no way. There's no way she could know all of the details of exactly how this would play out. Of course, in her own first century context, she would have seen this as being one spectacular event in the coming of the Lord's Messiah. He's going to come, and in one coming, he's going to bring physical and spiritual salvation all at once. There's no way she could have seen this would actually happen in two stages and two comings. There's no way she could have seen that Jesus would come, and the first time he would conquer, but he would conquer through a cross. 
He would conquer by being conquered. And in this way, he would guarantee the glorious fall of all oppressive powers. That day is coming, Shades. And through his cross, he would guarantee the glorious filling of all of his faithful people. That day is coming, Shades, because Christ will have a second advent when he will come again to bring total and complete, where he will bring total salvation to completion. All things, physical, spiritual, all of it made new, so much so that it's got to be called a new creation, including me and you. We are new creations in Christ. Shades. We sing about this day. Again, in my favorite Christmas song, I heard the bells. We sing about the day that the wrong shall fail, gloriously fall. And the right prevail, gloriously be filled. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is the new morn that Mary not only sees breaking, But she feels, she feels its warmth gloriously on her face. In the incarnation, she sees and feels the new and glorious morn of total salvation. God's perfect peace, shalom, peace. It is a new and glorious morn of peace. Again, that's how the end of Luke chapter 1 describes it. I read to you Luke 1 and verse 78 that describes the birth of Christ as being like a sunrise. Look at that again, but let's keep reading. Zechariah sings, The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah says, Through the birth of Christ, yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. One that brings peace. Shalom. Total salvation. Shades. Do you feel, do you feel the warmth of those glorious rays of total salvation shining forth from the page to fall on your face? There will be a glorious reversal of all things. That's why the weary world rejoices. Luke wants us to feel that. His his whole gospel is aimed at helping us feel that glorious reversal through the salvation that Christ brings. Again, again, I encourage you this afternoon, just go back and read what Luke has written thus far. And again and again, what you will see is this theme of reversal. God humbling the power in which the world takes pride and God exalting his humble people go back go back and just read the story of Gabriel appearing first to Zechariah and then subsequently to Mary Luke sets these two narratives side by side because he wants you to compare and contrast them read about Gabriel visiting Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah was, a, first of all, he's a man in this sexist society, so he's already on the top of power. Second of all, he's a priest, highly respected. Third of all, we find him in a powerful and important place in the temple. All of this screams, this is what the world in this context, in Jewish first century Israel, would see as powerful 
they would take pride in all of this. And what do we see happen to Zechariah? He's humbled in the midst of all of that by his unbelief. And that's immediately contrasted with a girl. Unimportant, poor, oppressed in an unimportant place, a nowhere town. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth was a common saying. And yet, she will always be called blessed. We're, we're 2,000 years later and still calling this girl blessed because of her faith. See what Luke is holding forth in front of us, this theme of reversal that's happening because of the incarnation, this theme of total salvation. Just, just keep reading past what we've read today. Read Luke chapter 2. That's a narrative we're all familiar with this time of year, right? And yet, do we miss this theme of reversal? Luke chapter 2, how does it begin? It begins with the king of the world, Caesar Augustus, taking a census to emphasize his power and his pride. All the while, the creator of the world doesn't take a census. No, he takes on flesh in a manger and has his birth announced to shepherds to emphasize that he's come for the humble and the discounted by the world. He's come for me. He's come for, for you. You see Luke taking the priorities, the things of this world, and flipping them on their, their head through the incarnation, the coming of Christ who's come to make all things new, physical Spiritual, total salvation, shalom, perfect peace. Shades, do you feel the warmth of those glorious rays shining forth from the text onto your face? What is new? The incarnation. What is glorious? Total salvation. This is what Mary sees. God faithfully doing what he promised he would do. And that's why she sings. His faithfulness empowers her to sing. That's how she ends her song. Verse 54 and 55. He, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, his covenant love, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God has remembered, acted upon just like he's seen me, he has seen his whole people. He's remembered, he has acted upon his mercy, his hesed, his covenant love. The covenant that he spoke to the father of Israel, Abraham. He is now keeping that covenant in Mary, the mother of true Israel, Jesus. Mary sees God's faithfulness. She feels his faithfulness kicking in her, her womb. And amidst her weary world, that empowers her to sing. For she sees that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, the incarnation that brings total salvation. Shades, do you see? Do, do you see the faithfulness of God this Advent? Do you feel His faithfulness kicking in your heart through His Holy Spirit? If so, then you are empowered even amidst 
this weary world, you are empowered to rejoice if by faith you see and feel this new and glorious morn. So, my, my entire goal this morning has just been to encourage you so that I might call us to this. Shades, this, this Advent, I'm calling us as a body to hope. Hope because faithful covenant love has been shown to us. Thus, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because perfect peace has been purchased through Christ. I'm calling us to hope because of love. We can rejoice because perfect peace has been purchased through Christ and He will come again to bring to completion all of that. Shades. Weary saints, let us rejoice in the light of this new and glorious morn. The incarnation that brings total salvation.